Welcome to The Slant, your not safe for work podcast about sports, pop culture, and politics. And there's no slant here, only honest, real opinions. You might agree, you might disagree. I'm George Reister here with BF Castro, the lady who only goes by initial. She's like Cher, Beyonce, any of these people. Yeah, Harvard student, very educated, very worldly out in the world. She loves to go to EDC. And I'm a and I'm a former professional athlete, business owner, all these things. And this is the slant. We have a bunch of oh yeah, you can say hi, BF. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know I'm over, I'm I'm over here mansplaining everything, and you're like yeah, you're like oh it's cool if I say something. Yes, so we have a bunch of great things up for you guys on this episode. We're talking about, A, we're going to talk about Andrew Luck and his player retirement. Not from the angle that you've heard it before. We have our good guy of the week and our asshole of the week that we're going to talk about every single episode. Boogie Cousins and his arrest warrant and how threats are now weaponized against people and you can get suspended just for things that you say. So, BF, we have a bunch of great things up today. Super excited about it. Where where do you want to start? You know, I think we should start with player retirement with Andrew Luck. And I think it's not even so much Andrew Luck retiring. I think it's the issue of player retirement and what that actually entails, why players don't retire when they should. And, you know, especially with you, you play football, you get it. So I think it's a bigger issue than Andrew Luck just deciding he's going to retire. I just, you know, it, 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 make, it made me kind of sad to think that there are people booing this man. Not only was he not able to retire on his own terms, I think it was Schefter who broke the news. Um, it was all over Twitter. The fans were hearing about it before the announcement actually even came. And he wasn't able to do that on his terms. He wasn't able to explain himself and get ahead of the situation. He had to kind of deal with knowing that people were cursing him and talking badly about him and burning his jerseys and just, you know, just spitting on on everything he sacrificed and everything he's given up because he chooses to retire. And so I go on. I I look at this from like the fan entitlement. Yeah. Like who the hell are you as a fan to say Oh, no, you aren't allowed to retire. You aren't allowed to go live your life and make every single choice that I'm allowed to make. Because me and you, we can choose to change our job, change the city that we live in, what we do, free of impunity. Aside from our family, that's about it. Nobody's going to yell at you. Nobody's going to scream at you. They're just going to say, okay, well, you know, that, that, that sucks. Peace out. And the fact that fans feel entitled, like there's a... This is where the word owner gets such a weird kind of connotation. And when you look at fans, fans feel like they on some level own the players and and have some and that the players owe them. No, the reality is, is that the players owe you their best effort while they are on the field. They owe you their effort to rehab and try to entertain you. Exactly. But the reality is, is that it's their career and their life. And players now, they realize they're looking at things a little bit differently. And fans are saying, oh, well, I would kill to be out there. I would play hurry. I would play through all of this. But you don't understand. These, like the the life that a professional athlete lives, especially when you're hurt, because I was an oft-injured player. I wasn't hurt in college. Then I got in the league, could not stay healthy to save my life. And there's nothing more mentally taxing than consistently being hurt. And, and being deflated. I remember when I tore my ACL, I had already tore my rotator cuff, was out for a while the previous season. I had hurt my back, missed time with that. And I remember I tore my ACL. I was sitting in the training room and I just started crying. It wasn't because I was in pain. I was sitting on the table and I was just like, man, I'm so sick of being hurt. Like, here goes another nine months, another year of just rehab. I mean, and it strips your love of the game. And the fact that fans don't see that because they're not in that. They they, they just see all the glamorous parts. They don't see the 
the hours and hours of rehab and waking up in pain every single day, which are mentally taxing. Well, I think from a fan perspective, they look at athletes as these are these Adamus figures. They they can't get hurt. They aren't entitled to get hurt. And so they look at athletes and think they have unlimited recovery budgets, basically. They have world-class trainers who are helping <laughs> them. Exactly. Uh, they don't look at the aftercare once they retired from the league, how much their insurance costs, if people are even, if, if companies are even going to be willing to insure them. And so, um, you know, they look at it from the time being that as long as you're in the league, you have access to world-class medical care. You have access to world-class surgeons. You better get your ass back on the field or else I'm going to be upset. And what people don't really understand is that, you know, and this is why you had so many people who were criticizing these fans who were being critical of Andrew Luck, saying, you know, people who are booing him are probably the, mo the least athletic people. Um, you know, even people get injured at work all the time. For example, I, I, um, I tore my MCL at work uh, several years ago and I had to quit my job. Like I didn't file for, you know, anything. I just was like, all right, I'm just going to be done with this. I'm, you know, I, I just want to kind of, you know, cut the cord here. And so uh, I was able to go. I had my own doctors. I had my own, you know, people working on my situation. But for me, I couldn't even really walk around at work. And I couldn't, like I was wearing a suit with a full uh, leg brace. I lived in a three-story townhome. My life at that at that moment, that six-month period was extremely um, just, just, it was hard. It really was. And it was, it was, mentally taxing it was physically draining and i wasn't even an athlete i was just a normal person who messed my knee up because i fell in high heels at work and so um <laughs> it was just a fluke accident and i saw the pain that that had me in i saw all the medication that they had me on all sorts of um prescription medications things like that it was just messing with my sleep my my ability to focus and concentrate and and i just really i felt like an empty person. And I was like, damn, this is not how I want to live. And so I just was like, I'm not taking anything else for this. I don't feel good. I'm just going to kind of let, let this injury run its course. And so, um, you know, with athletes, again, like you say, you do have an injury and you just can't heal from it. You're being uh, injected with medication. You're on pills, you're in therapy, you're in this and that. And you know that this is your livelihood at stake and that if you don't get better, you're going to be cut. And so for them, it's like they're trying to play through this pain. They're trying to work through these uh, obstacles and this adversity because they know that this is something they have been working towards their entire lives. They can't just say, all right, I'm going to walk away from this. Be like most people can walk away from their job or, or they, you know, they know, they know that they can get another job. Uh, athletes, it's difficult for them. This is a huge part of their identity. And so I think yeah. that is that entitlement that fans have that, you have to put yourself in their perspective. I mean, most people go home from work if they have a headache, they have a migraine. Imagine exactly. if you're playing and you don't get, Yeah, and you don't get that. It, it, it's that that's one thing that fans don't realize is that professional athletes are normal human people. Exactly. They have trouble with their wife, their kids aren't doing great in school, somebody's in trouble, kid doing great, somebody's sick, baby up crying all night, whatever it is, all these things go on in their exact life, except for they don't get to call in sick. They don't get, the show must go on. You, you have the flu, you still gotta show up to work to go see the doctor, go to meetings, wear a mask, coughing all over. You still got to be there. Exactly. The only time that you don't show up to work is if you get MRSA because they don't <laughs> want you around the way you don't yeah. contaminate everybody else. And there's that entitlement of, of, of fans. And here's the, and Doug Gottlieb's tweet summed it up and he deserved to get roasted and flamboasted and flambayed by everybody. He deserved to get ratioed. When he said that Andrew Luck retiring because rehabbing was too mentally taxing was the most millennial thing ever. <laughs> and I was like, what? How, how sway? Like, this is a man who's played with a torn abdomen, separated ribs, uh, a shoulder injury for two years, giving you everything. And I remember I was watching and I was watching a uh, family feud. 
and they had a question in fast money the end when they ask all the questions they said what is the average age an nfl player retires or a professional athlete retires and the number one answer was 35 <laughs> and i was like what who the hell retires at 35 years old the average nfl career is 3.4 years it's a little bit longer in the nba and in the uh, mlb it's weird because you're in the minors for a while so it doesn't so their numbers are kind of kind of skewed but 35 years old you get in the league when you're like 21 exactly. that means you have to play 14 years to retire and i'm like nobody plays that long that is the exception and not the rule think about it, as great as peyton manning was one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time him and andrew luck combined i mean it seemed like peyton manning played forever peyton manning is getting ready to be up for the hall of fame in like a year or two and him and andrew luck have combined for the same amount of seasons as tom brady that's how unusual right. that that is but i got a question for you vf there was a lot of people though that were wondering if if Adam Schefter, who broke the news, if he did the right thing, like is it responsible for him and the media to break news like this? And should players be allowed to do it on their own terms? Right. I don't think it's ever acceptable for news to break through a news like this. I think if there's an if there's an injury, I think that's kind of questionable. Um, you know, there are lots of implications that come with injuries, and I get that that portion. I think if it's a career ending injury that is going to force retirement inevitably, that needs to be a decision that's made by team doctors, by the player uh, himself or herself, depending on what league. And I just think that, that they should be given that respect. They've given their all. And this isn't to them. This isn't just a retweet. This isn't just a page view. This isn't just uh, you know, inflating their paycheck. This is their life. And this is something that they have dedicated their entire lives to. And this is something that they should be afforded the right to announce themselves, to go out on their own terms, to be able to address things that they know people are already going to get ahead of, i.e. Andrew Luck, people burning jerseys, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what grown adults like to do is burn jerseys. And so, you know, I think that media needs to sort of develop this kind of uh, code amongst uh, each other, you know, and, and the athletes that say, hey, when there's breaking news like this, we're going to let you go out on your own terms. We're going to let you announce this stuff on your own. If it's not a criminal investigation, if there's nothing like that tied to it, I do think that athletes should be given that right. But, you know. See, I, I see here's I agree with you there, VF. But my problem with it is, is how did Adam Schefter get the news? Right. Because he either got it from a team official or from one of the players in the Colts locker room. Right. And as much as NFL teams try to promote, oh, this is family, blah, blah. It's not a damn family because you have de degenerates and twerps in there. Because you have dudes trying to have sex and trying to fuck uh, other guys, girlfriends, wives, all of this it's stuff. It's not a brother. Maybe we'll talk about this another an, another day. But I've had teammates try to have sex with my son's mother. Had to try to have sex with my my girlfriend. All of this stuff, like it's crazy. Yeah. And I've and there have been other cases where you've had, you know, Joe Joe Horn having sex with one of his teammates' wives. Or, I mean, this is not uncommon practice. So that whole family thing is not it. So I wonder who broke the news to Adam Schefter. Well, I'm not actually mad at Adam Schefter for doing it because if that person told Adam Schefter, then guess who else they told? They told somebody else and Adam Schefter's job is to break news. Right, I understand that. But I think, you know, to your point about NFL teams or professional sports, they're not family. I think how can you be family with somebody when you know there's only a certain amount of roster spots and everybody is trying to compete for one of them? You have your back and your best interest in mind too. But I think from you know that quarterback position, say you are a cornerstone of a team, I just think that 
you know, that that position becomes a little more difficult to replace, especially right now. And I think that's where fans were most upset. They said, listen, if you were going to retire, you should have retired a couple months ago. You should have retired before we bought our season tickets. You should have retired so that we knew what to expect, so that we could have gone out into free agency and get, you know, gotten a quarterback that we felt could have been ready on day one. I think I get why they were mad at that, but I think this is maybe luck trying to push his, push his luck, so to speak. And, um, you know, going back to the point of players, maybe a player was was mad. Maybe there was a player that said, fuck this. You did our yep. team dirty. You disrespected us. And we get it. You want to retire. You're 29 years old. You've been through the ringer. But but you should have put the team. Um, you should have put the team first. You should. How have... can you put the team? For... He was already going to miss at least one week of the season and right. probably more of the season the man couldn't even practice but what i'm saying is if he would have announced his retirement a couple of months ago they could have gone he didn't know he was going to be too hurt at that point in point in time like if it's one of those things to where you try and try and try until you can't anymore and then he just reached like we all have a mental physical and emotional cap and andrew luck reached that cap he may come back and play after a couple years off. He may get that bug again. But at but for this point, he needs to get all the way healthy. Right. And they asked him what he's going to do next. Because I thought, one of the, my first reaction was, do you realize how bad a player has to be hurting mm-hmm. and feeling to leave $64 million on the table? Plus, what the next $100 million he was going to make in his next contract? He had already made 90 some million dollars, but still like nobody, nobody just walks away from $64 million without being ridiculously hurt and ridiculously tired. And then the other thing that I saw after that though, VF was that, that Adam Schefter then tweeted out, Oh, the Colts are going to let him keep his $24 million instead of trying to recoup it and pay him blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's not a grand gesture, first of all, because if because Andrew Luck could have put them in a real bad position, he could have said, look, I am going to wait till week one because I'm going to be on the week one roster, and then I'll tell you after that, the way my salary for this year is fully guaranteed, and you're going to have to pay me anyway. So, and then I'm going to be hurt, so then... And, and if I can't play for the rest of the season, my next year's salary is going to be guaranteed. So guess what, buddy? He had the Colts. He did the right thing by the by the Colts. He told them before the season started, made sure that they could handle their salary cap stuff properly, set their roster, get somebody to replace him. He actually did the right thing by the team. He did. Because athletes don't like voluntarily retire for no reason. And in 2019, players are a lot more where like people say, oh, players are soft. They're this, they're that. No, players are just more aware of that they have other options and that they have other things that they want to do with their life. Where they're saying, Andrew Luck said he wants to go be a history teacher right now, high school history teacher. That's a dream for him. And if not, he'll figure out something else to do. And players realize that their mental health because it doesn't matter whether you make a freaking billion dollars and you go to the Hall of Fame. If your life is fucked up and you're divorced or you're mentally not where you need to be, physically can't spend all that money, can't walk around. What the fuck did you gain? Exactly. Like this is supposed to give you a head start in life. What did you gain if you if if you in end your whole life beat up, can't walk in a wheelchair like Earl Campbell? Right. Well, Lee Steinberg told or Lee Seinberg said I have never been met an athlete who willingly retired from sports instead he said players get pushed out because they're too old no one wants them they're too injured and so it it kind of begs the question that you know you have these this figure like Tom Brady He's in his 40s. He's still playing, and he's still arguably he, at, at the top of his game. But he is—he is a quarterback who barely gets touched, right? Because they invest the money, <laughs> so you know he—he he has a lot of a lot of things going in his favor in New England. And so you know, but do you think that because players have this figure 
like Tom Brady, who seems to be defying every single odd, who seems to be defying injury and ageism and all these things that that gives them sort of this idea that, well, this is what I should aspire to, because it kind of gives fans that ability to say, well, Tom Brady is still playing, uh, you know, and, and should that be the sort of metric by which players sort of define their worth in the NFL is like, well, if Tom Brady's still playing, then you can still play. Because I saw a lot of that happening on Twitter. People were just sort of trying to put Andrew Luck up against twi- up against Tom Brady saying, well, maybe if Tom married- Brady hasn't been hurt the well, same right, way. But people have said, well, maybe if, if maybe if Andrew Luck married a married a, uh, a Victoria's Secret model, maybe he would still be playing football in his 40s. And it's like, why are fans like this? Why do they have to just do these comparisons and contrasts with players because I feel like if you're another player looking in on the situation, you're thinking to yourself, damn, what are what are people gonna say about me if, if I have to retire? Because this this is apparently the the the, the metric that you have to reach so, to be successful in the NFL, according to fans. So the fuck what, dude? Exactly. Like it it exactly. is Tom Brady, there is one word that describes Tom Brady's entire draft status career and his longevity one word outlier he does not like he is if you're taking a set of results like if you're doing a study if you're doing a an average if you're doing anything like like that you take out the outliers the things that are so far skewed that so far skew the numbers that they don't even count (laughs) like like tom brady is so far in the top left or top right hand corner of your of your graph that you can't even possibly average it in it's just okay that's an anomaly that's an outlier we're not even paying attention to that because everything else is in this cluster everything else is clustered together and tom brady is way out there i mean players like there are different goals when you are an nfl player like I always set my things in in many goals. The first thing you want to do is you want to obviously you want to get drafted. If that doesn't happen, then you have to then it becomes making a team. Then after making a team, it becomes getting three seasons. That way you're vested. The way you can get your pension and all the other benefits and accoutrements, if you will, that come with being a vested player. That means you get different benefits for longer, all of these things. So it's very, very important. Right. And players owe it to their family. They owe it to their bodies. They owe it to themselves to be productive people after they finish because the NFL is a job. It's not a career. A career is being a doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, pilot, something you can do for 30, 40 years. At the most, if you are a really good NFL player, you'll play 10. If you get to 10 years, you have done a, a freaking fantastic job. Well, I have a question about um, NFL retirement. Can you kind of walk us through if there's like a pension retirement? Like what's what's that like once players retire? Because I feel like people just think that you get your money and then you're done with it. And then other people think that, you know, that that. The NFL owes you money and that you're set for life and that, you know, I think there's so many different skewed opinions on this. So can you kind of shed some light on that? Okay. So here's what happens when you retire. I retired. I was forced out through, through injury when I was 29 or 30. Yeah, I was 29. And so you get, you get a severance pay when you leave. But that severance pay, I think my severance check for seven seasons was like $100,000, right? So, yeah, that's a considerable amount of money. But it's a fraction of what you were making. The I think the season before I made like $750,000 or, or $800,000 or something. So, yes, that is a significant amount of money, but it's not a huge amount of money. And the severance packages are a little bit different now. They're a little bit more, but not outrageously more. Um, and then if you are a player who was, who is hurt, who's like injured, then you can qualify for your line of duty benefits, which that means that for seven years, you can get, 
well actually it, it depends on how many years that you play but you can get line of duty benefits which means that if you're injured they will kind of compensate you for the amount of that you're that you're injured but it's based upon your pension so if you're a six seven year veteran every year you get a certain dollar amount per year you know like i think now the minimum is like 500 and some dollars per season that you have so every credited season then you get more but it all depends on how the cba works and every year is worth a different value so let's say that your line of duty is worth if you played a few seasons your line of duty may be worth now for a guy six seven seasons your line of duty may be worth 3500 to 4000 a month maybe maybe if you if you get the full thing but you have to be hurt and you have to be approved by the NFL doctors that say that you should get it so a lot of guys get declined for their line of duty benefits and then you're not eligible for anything else until your annuity kicks in and you get an annuity based upon the amount of years that you played in the league and you get that starting when you're 45. You can get it in a lump sum, which is taxed, but then, or you can get it uh, on a year by year basis. And then, and that'll be a couple hundred thousand dollars. So let's say you may get another, you know, when you're 45, another $30,000 a year. And then when you're 55, you're eligible to take out your 401k. It's called a 401k, but it doesn't work. Well, it's called a retirement plan, but it's a quote unquote 401k allegedly, but it doesn't work like the same one that you have at your job where at your job, you can transfer that over to a Roth IRA. You can transfer it over to different other investments and you just pay a penalty for taking it out in the NFL plan. You cannot touch that money under any circumstances until you're 55. You can't even call JG Wentworth and get it <laughs> and get a, you know, like get an advance on it for a lesser dollar amount. You can't even do that. So that's the, and then when you're 55, then that's when your pension finally kicks in is when you're 55. So that's the way NFL retirement works. It's not like you just have, like, you can just, walk away and say all right i never have to work again nah it doesn't work like that pretty much every single athlete even if you are a guy who made 30 40 50 million dollars because you have a lifestyle to keep up and if you want to keep up that lifestyle then you are going to have to make money if you want to dumb your lifestyle down all the way to a you know hundred thousand dollar a year level hundred and fifty thousand dollar a year level then yes you can uh you know make some of that money last but you also have to be actively going out and making money otherwise you're gonna sit around and die or do stupid shit yeah yeah that's interesting i like i said i feel like people just have this idea that players are gonna make you know 16 30 million dollars whatever and and that they're set for life and people don't take into account you know these these people for the most part they're these athletes they're uh, 20 21 22 years old when they get in the league like what do you want when you're that age you look at cars you look at vegas you look at clubs you look at trips and flying private and now there's all these jet um uh, subscription services that you can just have a jet ready to go whenever you want to and you're flying your friends out there and all your friends have to be outfitted so it's you, you're creating this lifestyle but you, like you said the average time in the NFL is three and a half years and so you're creating this lifestyle that is completely unsustainable and I think that is another issue people don't want to address when players retire it's like you're so used to a certain lifestyle and then once you have retired, whether you're forced to retire by injury or it's just if you run your course in the league, then suddenly you're, you, these players are finding themselves having to pare down. They're having to cut their lifestyle, their expenses in half. They're realizing how many how many of their friends and family screwed them in the long run by taking money from them or whatever, and um, you know all these investments that your uncle has, or you know, or and even so or the, even a lot of times, a lot of times it's these financial advisors that are approved by leagues. Right. They work at big companies like Morgan Stanley. They work at Goldman Sachs 
and they screw people like there are bernie madoffs who work for nfl players and nba players and mlb players that's why you see uh tim tim duncan four-year guy at wake forest smart guy lost over 20 million dollars from somebody uh who was supposed to be managing money for him they were giving him false statements so he's checking on stuff but they're just lying to him printing out false documents and all this stuff and people say exactly. oh well you need to watch your money and take well th that's the thing about it is that you outsource things for that you don't know that you aren't an expert on like you don't you don't say to somebody who got a bad plastic surgery job or a bad dentist job say oh man you should have been watching your mouth you should have been watching the plastic surgery well i went to a fucking expert that's who i'm supposed to listen to i'm i tried to do all the right things and i still got screwed they deceived me and they deceived a bunch of other people so and then the and then most players don't actually even make that much money as much money as people right. think they do and they are just like everybody else in that when you if you were given millions of dollars when you were 21 or 22 years old you would have a problem because most 40 50 year old men who end up having windfalls whether it's in business or they win a lottery they have trouble managing their money so why the hell don't you think a 21 22 23 year old kid is not going to make foolish decisions or or you know mismanage money it is absolutely going to happen but i want to get to the next thing that we got up vf which is boogie cousins boogie cousins demarcus cousins who Clay Travis tweeted when he first came out that he was going to, he guaranteed that he would be arrested within five years. And if not, he would donate $5,000 to charity. Well, now 10 years into the NFL, I'm sorry, into the NBA, Boogie Cousins is getting arrested. He had a, uh, an, an arrest warrant issued for him in, in Alabama. And this is surrounding a baby mama. He's now signed to the Lakers. He was with the Golden State Warriors last year. Before that was with the Pelicans and the and the Sacramento Kings. He was up for a huge contract, tore his Achilles. Then he went to Golden State, tore his quad, rehabbed, looking all the way better, then tears his ACL this summer. But why does he have an arrest warrant over a baby mama? His he is on he's been recorded threatening to that he would put a he said he would put a bullet in her fucking head if she didn't let their son their seven-year-old son come to his wedding and she recorded the call and when you listen to the call the only excerpt that you hear is just that you don't hear anything else around the call you just hear that which i look at Actually, let me hear your reaction to it, VF, and then I will I'll tell you mine. I think in any case like this, context always matters. And I think that she released the the recording to TMZ. She filed a police report on the call and then she sent a copy of the recording to TMZ Sports. And to me, I think that if you're going to release a recording release the whole recording. And I get it. People only record a certain, you know, you don't know that this is happening. You know, the conversations happen very quickly. You get your phone out uh, or you start recording when, you know, it, it occurs to you, holy crap, I need to start recording this conversation. And I get it that sometimes you don't capture the entire conversation. Then again, sometimes conversations can be doctored. Uh, you can you say you have a five minute clip, but we've seen it happening on the news all the time, or at least we saw it happen to, with Tyreek Hill. Right, right. So they say one thing and then only a slight, you know, 10 second bite gets released and that doesn't paint the whole picture. And then once it's put out there in the court of public opinion, it's game over. Suddenly the world has this idea about this person and, and they don't really get to defend themselves because all the all the public has seen millions of people at this point have heard just one tiny soundbite. And I think that if you're trying to build a case against somebody, you have to release the context of the conversation in its entirety, even if there are things that could implicate you, even if there are things that can make you look bad, that's okay. Be that as it may, if he was actually threatening, I'm going to put a bullet in your head, then 
you know, when he was being serious about this, that's a conversation that would have gone on for a yep. very long time. And then what what escalated the conversation exactly. to that point? What did she say? Um, what did what what did he say after? How did they end the conversation? There's so many questions that I have about this conversation, and I think that it by 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 cutting out that context, you are putting a lot of other people who might be in domestic violence situations in a bad position because maybe they don't want to come forward because they think, oh, well, anytime somebody releases a conversation now, there's going to be a bad rap because nobody's going to believe it because the real conversation is going to come out. The context is going to come out eventually and 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 it's going to make their cases look bad. What I actually have an act, a case against, you know, my situation, more people, I feel silenced by that, I imagine, because, you know, of, of just how these cases usually end up working oh, out. Oh, I 100% agree. And here is what I know. As a person with a baby mama, is that having a high conflict situation with a baby mama will have you saying and thinking some crazy things. Like, my oldest son is 13, and in 13 years, we've been through the ringer a couple times. I mean, literally, especially early on. And, and it, like, there have been some things that have, that have happened not... Not on my end as much, but there have been some things that if they, if you like just encapsulate that one incident or that one conversation that you would look at and you'd be like, oh, wow, that, that, that's awful. And that those statements truly, even in this DeMarcus Cousins situation, they are rarely one-sided and then they're often weaponized in court. That is, oh, Oh, look at look at what he said. He should have no custody of his kid. And these things are about money. They are about control a lot of times and all of this. I mean, it's different if he choked her, uh, if, if he threatened her physically. They're not even in the same state. And he wanted his kid to go to the wedding. And I actually ran into a situation similar with my wedding. And th those things weren't said. But there were some heated discussions about it because this lady, Christy West, his baby mama, is not happy that he's getting married. Guarantee you, she wanted to be with him and wanted to live the life of being DeMarcus Cousins' girlfriend, continue that on. But for whatever reason, it ended. And she's not happy about it. So there's probably an element of that involved. And if we go suspending people from work, and demonizing people forever because of custody arguments or domestic arguments that didn't actually turn physical, there will be no workforce. Because how many people come from blended families now or are a part of blended families? It is not always easy. And sometimes there are some rough patches. And sometimes people don't have good conflict management skills and they let their anger boil over because somebody just does something that hurts you so badly especially when it comes to playing with your kids, trying to manipulate them, how they feel about you. The things that are said, it, it's just a very triggering situation. So I approached it with caution. And I said that even De, that DeMarcus Cousins, he should not have said that. And it's clear he was in anger. He didn't do it. There was a, and that he has a responsibility to his career, to his wife now, to his family to not say these things the way he doesn't get in trouble. But at the same time, I kind of get it, even though it's wrong. Well, here's the other situation, or here's the other side of that. He doesn't have any priors. He doesn't have anything on his record, you know, that we know of any, that nobody's ever reported anything about him that has even anything remotely close to doing with this. If he had a list of women who throughout the years were coming out saying he's an abuser, he's a womanizer, he is an asshole, he's this, he's that. If we had already had this picture painted of him through the perspective, through the lens of women that he's been with, then I think it would be a different story. But when it comes to his personal life, he's been able to keep that under the radar. And I think that maybe says more about him as a person than it does about the situation. And like I said, I get it. You have a lot of women who say, well, 
cases like this or why women don't come forward. Well, again, there's two sides to that to that coin because on one side, some you know you have women who are victims of actual domestic violence who say, or you know even verbal violence who say, I can't come forward because it's cases like this. People no longer believe us because you know we don't have the context that we need in these cases to actually verify that things happen the way they happen. So now people just think that every person who comes out and claims, you know, domestic disputes or disturbances in any capacity is lying. So you're putting people in a really bad place by coming out, like I said, with that context being removed from audio. And you're also putting children in a bad position too, because one of these days, these kids are going to grow up they do grow up, it is an inevitable reality of life. They're gonna grow up and they're gonna see mom for doing what she did, dad for doing what he did, and they're gonna come to their own conclusions about their own parents. And so you need to remove yourself as a parent what your personal wants and needs are in a situation. You can't look at it and say, I wanted to be the, 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 the girlfriend or I wanted to be the husband or whatever. You have to remove that and, and remove any possible uh, meanness or, or just, uh, you know, uh, willingness to sort of attack these people and say, one of these days, my kid's going to grow up. One of these days, my kid's going to have their own opinion. And I need to be the best parent that I can be and project the best parent, especially when you're a celebrity, especially in the, if you're in the public light and you owe that. To oh, your kids I 100% agree. But the biggest, I think the biggest problem that people mess up in this situation is I was talking to, uh, cause I've been to therapy. I've been to therapy. I've been with the uh, family, all of this stuff. So I look at this and I say what my what the therapist said. This guy named Al Luddington who runs the Luddington Institute out in Westlake Village. He's super smart. Like he's got I mean this dude is a, a freaking genius. And in terms of family cooperation, therapy, all of these things like it cuz cuz you don't have to have a traumatic situation to go on to, you know, to figure out a way to help your family operate prop- properly. We had a blended family. We wanted to make sure everybody was integrating proper properly and all this. He said the biggest mistake that parents make is when they say and when they think, "Oh, the kids don't know." No kids know everything. They, they they see know. it. I just say, oh, the oh, the, oh, the kids don't know we're fighting. Kids don't. Know. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They see. They randomly see text messages. They accidentally overhear something when they're getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. They overhear Auntie Pam saying something to Cousin Judy about this that nobody thought that they heard because you weren't around because they were spending the night over there somebody so they know things that you do not think they know so you cannot assume that and the kids oftentimes are the people well not oftentimes they are the people who get hurt so badly in these situations but i it remains to be seen how the nba handles this because if this were the nfl you know what would be happening like they are quick to try to suspend people and but I think that you're going to hear a lot more that comes out in this story that you're going to see, you know, that this is, yes, he was in the wrong. Yes. He's going to suffer some sort of, because he is being arrested, public embarrassment. He may, he's not going to go to jail, but there's going to be some repercussions for this incident that has happened. Well, he can't travel right now because he had his, uh, uh, surgery, on his ACL and he can't, he can't travel right now because as you know, most people know, um, when you have surgery like that, you can't travel for, for a period of time after because doctors are worried about blood clots. So he can't even travel. He has this arrest warrant for him in Alabama and he can't even get to Alabama. He's like, listen, I can't even get there. I just had surgery. So, um, you know, I think back to your point though, about family issues, you know, being that this is a pop culture, uh, conversation also, there's a show called, uh, Big Little Lies. And I, I, this is a spoiler alert in case you're watching it and haven't seen it, but you know, in the last, uh, the season finale, there's this, um, uh, custody issue. The paternal grandmother is, is suing or for custody over the children. And the mom is, 
looking at something on an iPad and I guess in the cloud, the children, when the father used to beat the mother when uh, before he died, um, he the children recorded this on an iPad and it's the day before the trial the day before I think the verdict and the mom finds this video in the iCloud and she shows it. She's representing herself at this point in court because she's an attorney. She shows it to the court and the grandmother shocked. Everybody is shocked because nobody really believes her because their sex life is violent. Their sex life is physical. Nobody believed her that she was, she was capable of not being a willing participant of violence. And her sons happened to hear violence happening and they happened to wow. report it. And so that kind of shit happens all the time. This, And I'm so glad that the producers of the show decided, let's go dark. Let's involve these, these little boys in this story and, and shed some light to parents that your children see absolutely everything. And they know when things are wrong. And if they sense something's wrong, they're going to ask questions. They're going to want to talk about it. And in this case, there's a re there's recording of it in this show. And so I think that if you're a parent, even if you're not a parent, that had to be an eye-opening, you know, pretty moving um, uh, plot oh, twist in the story. Oh, I 100% agree. And now it is time for our asshole of the week. It is time for the person or people who have done despicable things who deserve to be publicly shamed, fleeced, and flogged, who that way they can turn away from this awful behavior that they're doing and do something different. Our asshole of the week, BF, it is here. Who is it? Uh, one of them is uh, the New Jersey School District, which considered not serving lunch to kids with more than $20 in debt. And Tevin Biles Thomas, who is the brother of Olympic gold medalist and queen Simone Biles, who was just charged on a New Year's Eve shooting in Ohio that killed three people. Unfortunately, let's let's just start off with the um, with the Biles uh, incident really quick. Um, He's charged with murder, voluntary manslaughter, uh, felonious assault, and perjury in a December 31st, 2018 fatal shooting in Cleveland. Charges were announced in a joint statement from Cleveland police. Um, said it's unclear if he has a lawyer, but the problem I have with the, aside from the fact that, you know, what he is being charged with, most of the news stations are using photos of Simone Biles in their news stories in their tweets. What the fuck? Like this poor girl is just receiving this barrage of unnecessary media hits because they feel like what posting a photo of Simone Biles is going to get people's attention more than showing a photo of her brother. Um, I, I think that yep. is just extremely uncalled for. It is disrespectful. It is basically telling the world that listen, Simone, we get it. You're a 14 time world champion. You're a five time Olympic gold medalist. But listen, you, you might even be the first gymnast to attempt and land a double twisting, double somersault dismount off the balance beam. But we're going to just disregard all that. Uh, we don't care about what you've accomplished. Now your brother is being charged with these crimes and we're now going to use your your smiling, happy, uh, winning face to basically get page views and clicks because that's just how the media works. That's who the asshole of the week is. It's not the brother. Yeah, the, I mean, he's, he's, asshole, he's his right? asshole for yeah. everything. Yeah. If, if, if he's guilty, right. but the, that the asshole is the media who not only did they use her face, it's the headlines, Simone Biles brother, yeah. the dude's name, his, his last, last name is not even Biles. He, he's a, he got a hyphen. The name is Tevin Biles, whatever his last name is. Thomas, and I'm just sitting there like that is so cringeworthy. Yeah. It is disgusting. Why even bring her name up if it's not newsworthy without her? It's not news. That's like saying uh, Barack Obama's wife. Like, no, her name is Michelle Obama. <laughs> you know, it's well, like even, saying even regardless of the celebrity, it's 
this is an individual person being charged with these crimes. Why are we bringing Simone Biles into this? And again, it's just for page views and clicks. And what I think is so interesting is that it in the first couple of graphs, in the net graph, it pretty much just goes right towards Simone Biles. It's not even, you know, the first four graphs of an article typically are are kind of what gets people's attention, gets them to either, you know, okay, I've, I've absorbed the information. I don't need to go on and read the extra 500 words that accompany this article. So by putting Simone Biles, and I've seen this in every single article that I've clicked on, she is in the first four paragraphs, the first four graphs of these articles is her background. What what does her background have to do with what her brother allegedly did? Nothing. I, I, exactly. Nothing at all. It is shocking that it's 2019, and this is how much journalism has devolved. Like yeah, it, it, it it would be different if it were her husband. Right. If it were her husband, okay, okay, that would make a little bit more sense because then you're wondering what did she know about it? Is she in danger? You know, there's a lot more exactly. implications that come from this. This is a brother with a hyphenated name. Like this is like a half brother probably. So I don't even know where this even even comes from. But I'm even hotter about your first asshole of the week. And that's the New Jersey school district considering not serving lunch to kids with more than $20 debt on their um, on their lunch accounts. So here is what I know from how things work in California and having kids is that if they have lunch, a lunch program here in California to where if your parents can't afford it and they fill out and they fill out the forms properly, then you are not then you get free lunch free breakfast and lunch at the public schools but if your parents don't fill it out which some of these kids parents don't because they're either absentee they are you know what whatever then they can end up or their parents maybe don't qualify perfectly but they may not have food there's so many kids that people don't realize i was talking to my son about this I said, you have no idea how many kids around you at your, your school, not at the school he goes to now, but is his old school where they are homeless. First, they're homeless. And second time, the only time that they eat is at school. They eat breakfast and lunch at school and they don't get dinner. So you so I was telling him that to be thankful for what he has, first of all. But second thing is, is that you have to realize that there's a lot of other stuff going around you that you don't realize. So these kids with $20 in debt, mind you, the lunches are only three, four bucks a day. So if these kids have $20 in debt, it's probably because their parents can't pay it. Because when parents don't want to pay for lunch, they send their kids to lunch with their school. They send them to school with lunch. So are you supposed to not feed these kids? So if you're not feeding them, that means their brain doesn't have fuel to work. And learn means they're going to be disruptive in class because they're upset, bothered, hungry, all of this stuff. So I have no idea how this is supposed to curb a problem despite, I mean, instead of, I mean, it's going to instigate whatever the problem already is. Right. And I think that what this does, it's. It's setting kids up to fail before kids can even qualify to get their own lines of credit. It's basically saying you're gonna you're you're going to always be a, a byproduct of your environment. If you come from low income family, you're always going to be in this bracket because we're not gonna do anything to sort of help you focus in school. This this might be your safe space. You might come from these kids might come from abusive households, they might come from very poor households. And these schools are their safe space this is where they can come and be around you know other kids this is where they can come and be around adults and and feel safe and get food and like you said for a lot of these kids this is the only time they're going to eat during the day and this is why it's so important for uh for certain uh, counties for certain school districts to have summer school kind of be a mandatory thing to make sure that kids aren't out um committing crimes because they're hungry out uh doing things that they shouldn't be doing because they're hungry because they're trying to make some money this gives them an opportunity to be in school to eat to have that taken care of 
of. And I think that, you know, what this does, you know, it, it teaches classism, it humiliates children, it increases bullying, encourages it. And, you know, kids grow resentful of, of their parents for, for embarrassing them like this, whether it's, you know, oh, mom just forgot to pay the lunch bill or whether it's mom couldn't pay the lunch bill. Children feel embarrassed. They start to feel like, uh, their their parents are humiliating them. You know, it, it affects family life, and it just it's it's wrong. And I think that every uh, every summer now you're starting to find on social media you have people taking care of lunch debts so that kids can register for school, so that kids can receive their diploma, so that kids can go on because they they're 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 basically punishing them for the fact that you know they they can't even get jobs they can't even you know afford this stuff yeah. and so it's 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 wrong it's i think it's morally wrong that you know people are being taxed so much to pay for these programs to sort of you know mitigate the curve these costs in schools and and yet these kids are still kind of feeling the weight of of what our taxes are supposed to be doing that's what that's what kind of infuriates me and and makes me upset when i see schools failing and kids not being educated and not having resources i'm like hold up this is a freaking mismanagement of tax money that's what this is because right. property taxes pay for schools Property taxes and lotteries pay for school. There's plenty of money, plenty of money. You just have to manage that money properly. And and I was so outraged when I saw this. I was like, okay, okay. Well, how how about how about this New Jersey school district? How about let's uh, let's just put it on the on the eight year olds credit report too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Put them put them 30, 30 days late, 60 days late, 90, 120. Forget it. Hey, just put it, put it on there. Even make it even harder for them to succeed. Right. Like kid, kid tries to go to college, takes out a loan and has a 200 credit score be, before they're even 18 years old because they couldn't afford their lunches growing up. Yep. Like what the fuck are we teaching kids? It, it's, it's just, I, I think that we, we hire these people. We hire these, these, uh, um, people to oversee boards of you know school districts etc what are they getting paid for yeah. is the problem here that we're sort of having to to read news stories of 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 school districts threatening to um withhold lunches or you know not let kids graduate until they pay this like again no, where's our you, tax money going to oh, and what are these educators vf doing? you are a socialist vf you're a socialist <laughs> all kids should be able to eat at school oh my god and and they shouldn't have to pay Pay their debts for their lunch debts. VF, you need to stop being a socialist and <laughs> and and just say FTK. Fuck them kids. And, and, and this FTK. money needs to be and this money needs to be paid. The funny part about well, this just... is that I say that to my wife sometimes when when she'll say something when we'll want to do something and we don't have time because of the kids' schedule. And I'll jokingly say, "Oh man, F." Uh, she'll say, well, what are we going to do with the kids? I'm like, FTK, they'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, but I, you know, back to the point though, I just feel like, you know, like it is possible to fix these situations. It doesn't have to come down to this. I totally agree. And now, and now to a happier portion of the show, our- Depends on who you're asking. You're right about that. It's our good guy of the week. The good guy of the week brought to you by the good guy himself, Neil Cavuto. So I've done Neil Cavuto's show on Fox Business a couple times. So I have a fond experience and I like Neil Cavuto. I feel like for the most part, he shoots straight where he comes from. Uh, he's he's honest. You know what I mean? Like he's a guy trying to be a report, trying to report the news, do the right thing. He stood up to Mr. Donald Trump, number 45 himself, after he tweeted out Fox News is not doing the right thing by by us and blah, blah, blah. They're not working for us anymore. And he's like, Mr. President, we don't work for you. My job is to report the news. I didn't make you say all these lies. I just reported on them. And the fact that you don't like it is the problem. You don't like. Yeah. It, just because somebody reports something that you did wrong, that does not mean it's negative. And that's what I hate about politics and news coverage. A lot of times what we get today, it's not about right or left. It's about the fact that even if you agree with somebody, 
they are imperfect people so sometimes you need to call bullshit like i right. i love i love my wife but sometimes i gotta be like baby i i don't i don't think that's right or s- vice versa to me g you know i love you but and i stand behind you but that wasn't really the move that wasn't cool and that doesn't mean that they don't still love you and support you. It just means that they are not a lap dog and they want you to be better. They want to call you higher by calling out and being honest because politics is supposed to be about the people and not about getting reelected or about partisanship. Who cares who puts up a bill, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, if it's good for everybody, if it's good for the vast majority of people, then it should be passed. Forget who passed it. Just do the right thing for my vote and the people who voted for you. Damn. Well, it's all about checks and balances. And I think that's what people don't understand is that, you know, this is why there are, you know, what especially what he said. First of all, Mr. President, we don't work for you. I don't work for you. My job is to cover you, not fawn over you um, or rip you, just cover you. Call balls and strikes. Our job is to keep score and not settle scores. And I think that is so just right on the money. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's it's he's in, Trump's entitled to have his opinion. His, his everybody is entitled to have their opinion. We're not all going to agree on absolutely everything. That's not what this is designed for. But the media was never designed, especially in this country. It wasn't designed to sort of look at the president's agenda, regardless of what president it is, look at their agenda and say, this is exactly how we're going to dictate our news cycle today. That's called state TV. And we don't want that. Maybe, you know, certain people have their views on, well, I don't want this network in my home and I don't want my child or my my, my family watching this network because it's wrong and they're entitled to that opinion. But in terms of what journalists and reporters should be reporting, it should be fair. It should be honest. It should be balanced. And I feel like that's kind of where, you know, you know, if if you're trying to drive a political agenda, then create your own network. Yeah, this that's, is that's car crash news. Should be about. Yeah, this is car crash exactly. news. It is car crash. I mean, CNN does it. Fox News does it. It is car yeah. crash news. They know that that's what sells. So now they have taken mm-hmm. the political version of car crashes and said, oh, let me give you something to be mad about today. Let me give you something that the other side is just an idiot. They're stupid. They are They are un-American. They're this. Whatever it is, they do car crashes for political value and viewership. And that is disingenuous. It is bad for... Those are the things that are bad for America. Is because the majority of people don't have the time, energy, or patience, or desire, really, mostly to really try to find honest and good news and not be and they don't have time to check it to fact check people and all of this so they find reporters and journalists that they trust and they believe what they say and a lot of times they betray their trust with how they handle things now well here's the thing too i think that news we've gotten so accustomed to news that you know we want everything to be in quick bites quick doses i think this is why people like twitter so much because it's like it's it's set up to as micro blogging in that it only takes a couple seconds to read that tweet you don't have to read an entire article because you're going to lose people's attention time is valuable and people just don't have the kind of time that they used to have to be able to every night we're going to sit in front of the tv we're going to watch the news as a family or as a couple we're going to talk about things most families and most households they don't really work that way anymore and so the news is designed to give people quick bites, but unfortunately that is often absorbed as how the host or how the guests are interpreting the news at the time. And it's obviously becomes even more skewed based off what network you're watching or listening to, you know, if it's 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 a radio show. And so I think this is why it's, it is important for people to read news articles to be able to sort of uh, dispel, discern, do what they need to do with the news to be able to, you know, filter it the way it's it's supposed to be filtered with their own, you know, deductive reasoning skills. And this is why, you know, most people, like I said, they don't have that time to do that though, unfortunately. So this is why it is important for the news to be able to give people healthy doses of this is fact, this is my opinion. And, you know, when a, a, a host gives their opinion and it doesn't, 
it's not savory with who they're talking about, yeah, that person has a right to go out and say, I disagree with this person or this person defamed me or whatever the case may be. But I think it's a lot different when you're the president of the United States. Like, don't you have bigger shit to deal with than that? Like, you have the nuclear <laughs> codes. You're you're in charge of the you armed forces. You would think forces, so. The, 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 the biggest, most powerful military in the world. Don't you have bigger shit to deal with than what news reporters are saying about you on their TV shows? I 100% agree with you. Like, there's no reason. I don't want the. I don't want my president watching too much TV. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't like it. I don't need him watching TV. I need him to be focused and not picking fights with people who don't matter. Like they're like you actually give other people exactly. re relevance when you fight with them when they're way below you it's almost like when jay-z when the game dissed jay-z and jay-z didn't even respond like directly to him he was <laughs> he responded but not in a way where he called his name said anything directly to him or anything like that but everybody knew who it was too but you just like, I'm not giving this dude any additional shine. And that's the wrong thing to do. That's one of my favorite things to do is somebody shades me or says something like, I've literally walked past somebody while they were talking shit about me and I didn't even, I didn't even acknowledge them. I'm like, this is how little I'm gonna make you feel. This is, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to let you know that I literally do not care what you have to say because again, I have bigger things going on in my life than what you think about me. So that is for sure. I, I think that that's, yeah, to your point, Neil Cavuto, he is the good guy of the week for calling this out, for keeping news uh, in check, and for, I think, giving reporters this sort of uh, retooling them with that power that, listen, we're going to say what we're going to say. We're going to be as objective as we need to be to report the news effectively. And if you don't like it, then tough shit. I totally agree with you. You guys, thank you for joining us on The Slant today. Tell a friend about The Slant. Share it with them because sharing is caring. And hope you enjoyed it. Make sure that you guys tune back in every single week. We will be here. And if you guys have any questions, comments, anything to say, send it to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com and we will get to it and put the slant in the subject and we will get to it. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Peace out. Catch you next week.